and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we're talking about things that we've changed our minds on. Now, I'm loath to admit it, but we haven't always got things right, or perhaps not as nuanced or with as much detail as we'd like. And so over time, we've changed our minds about a few things, a few beliefs that we held we don't really hold anymore. And just to be clear, this is only because it's too lazy to go back and delete the episodes where we just got it wrong, which <laughs> is my suggestion. But you do change over time, and this is absolutely natural. And I think what would be good in today's episode that we're going to do is talk about, well, what are those things that we've changed our minds on? What are those beliefs we don't hold as sticky anymore? Andrew, take it away. So let's start with renovation. So the Andrew Nichols special back in the old, old, old days when everything was in black and white was you buy a house, you add value and you repeat the process. And that's because Andrew Nichol didn't have much equity so he didn't really have a choice. He had to buy a property add some value and do it again to do it again or even to do it in the first place really. And then as Andrew Nichol got a little older and busier he realised actually I'm just exchanging more time for money and you're a bit more limited. And so definitely I've changed my mind on the renovation front. Now renovations can still be a great strategy if you've got the skills, I didn't, and the time, I don't, then that's a good way of getting into property investment, building your portfolio, all of those kind of things. But definitely I've changed my tune on renovations over the time. And, you know, I didn't have a podcast 18 years ago, so there was no one to actually go back and listen to me harping on getting on my soapbox saying that that was the only way to make money in property investment. But today, Andrew Nichol admits he's probably wrong about that. And is it fair to say that previously you thought that's the only way to do property absolutely, investment? Absolutely, absolutely. See, property investment is kind of like being a vegan. Yet. <laughs> if you're a vegan, you have to tell everyone that you're right about being a vegan and everyone else is wrong by being a carnivore. But turns out you can do both. <laughs> well, that definitely is the case. You can invest in property in so many different ways and it isn't just one way. Now, something I've changed my mind about, and actually I'll tell you something funny. This is actually still on our website in the Epic Guide to Property Whoa. Investment. So if you currently, and I'm going to rewrite it and redo quite a bit of it for 2021, but if you read the Epic Guide to Property Investment on our website, which is a 16,000 word guide, it still says that standalone houses get better capital growth than townhouses. Now, I've changed my mind about this because over the last 12 months, we've got new data looking at this, which suggests that that is not always the case or not necessarily the case. You know, some of these long-held myths or beliefs about yes. property investment, everybody might say them, everybody might think it's the truth, but sometimes when you look at the data, it's not necessarily the truth. So my mind changed when we got new data from CoreLogic and it was a specific study we did together where we said, hey, we need the data in this way, which showed that in some cases, townhouses have got better capital growth than standalone houses. And we've actually just released an article on our website, which I'll make sure we link through into the show notes. So for instance, in Wellington, two-bedroom townhouses grew at 6.72% per year over the last 20 years. Houses, two-bed houses, 6.63%. So townhouses just edged out houses in that case. Previously, we were really sure standalone houses are always going to beat townhouses. Not necessarily the case. And we've got that article breaking down where that was true and where it wasn't. And it's really interesting just thinking about that, just the fact that we do as investors and probably just as human beings, we take something that's just anecdotal and we often repeat it as if it's fact. And probably my next one falls into that category, which is you need 10 properties to be successful as a property investor. 
And I'd been along to all the seminars back in the old days of game, back when it was black and white, and you would always hear 10 properties. That was the rule. And so again, I think I've spoken before about how a lot of those people who had that mentality and over leveraged and then got burnt by the GFC are now broke. So look, you might need 10 properties if your goals are a really short period of time before your money kicks in, or you've just got a really aggressive amount of money that you want to have at retirement, or if you just want 10 properties. But if you are just a regular person wanting a moderate to good lifestyle in retirement, you probably don't need that many. You might need three to five. And actually working with investors over the last few years and actually using some of the software that we use now, it surprised me how few properties people need just to get to where they want to be if you've actually got that clear vision in mind. And so that's something that I've changed my mind about. You don't necessarily need 10 properties. You might, but it's not a one size fits all. And the amazing thing was when we did that other study looking at, I think it was 100 different investors, what their goals were, and we anonymized all the data and looked at how many properties did they need in order to achieve their personal goals based on the plan that they had created with a financial advisor. And it was three to five properties was all people needed. And that's why they can take that more passive strategy of investing in newer properties as opposed to perhaps doing something more active in order to be able to purchase a lot and lot of properties. The other thing I've changed my mind on is capital growth in cities versus small towns. So another one of those things when I first started at Opus, everybody said was that the big cities are going to get more capital growth all the time rather than those small towns. Now, that's not necessarily true. We've got another episode talking about this. And in fact, most regions will appreciate more or less the same over a long period of time. Now, the other thing I've changed my mind on in that is about the consistency of that. Because what we found when we crunched into the data as well is that because although you may get the same capital growth no matter the size of the city, what we did show was that those bigger regions tend to have more consistent capital growth, which is also important. So I guess what that shows is that over time, as we dig into more data and try and answer more questions around property investment, we get that much more nuanced approach or nuanced view about how things actually work. The next one I want to talk about is JVs and business partners. So JVs from an investment standpoint, business partners, even in regards to our company. In the past, I had a similar company to Opus before I formed this, and I have had my fair share of dog business partners along the way. It's just been unfortunate. And I guess sometimes you've got to remember when you start out in a partnership, be it property, relationship, whatever it is, sometimes people change and your goals change. And so sometimes that requires having a tough conversation, which can be really challenging, even for a hard ass like me, you know, having those conversations where someone's letting the team down. And so I guess at one stage, I was probably a little bit put off by some of those negative experiences. But I've definitely changed my tune in the last few years. I mean, Ed's written this note for me. You found some really good ones now. Isn't that lovely? He just likes to write his own review. And I think um, if only we could do that for the podcast. And so <laughs> we do. I, <laughs> and so we no, don't. we don't. And so um, I do think that if you go into partnership, you can get some really good benefits of skills that you don't have from other people. For example, Ed's got some really great dress sense that he helps me with, and I help him with his data reading. You can always have that. You've just just got to have the end in mind and also have a really clear agreement that if something goes wrong, how do we exit this and still be mates? Now, the next thing and the last one on my list is the fact that house prices are driven by long-term demand and supply. Now, this is what everybody says. You know, if we see house prices appreciating, it's because 
we are 60,000 or 120,000 properties short and that's why we've got high house prices. I've really changed my tune about this because while that may be true over the long term, a five or a 10 or a 20 year period, in the short term, in one month or two months or three months, house prices are not driven by long-term supply and demand. They are driven by short-term supply and demand. So it's not about how many houses are necessarily being built, but how many listings you have on the market. So at our current state of the market, we were in an incredibly hot market. It's not the fact that we didn't build houses 20 years ago that's causing us grief and really high house prices today. It's just that we've got more houses being bought than are being listed on the market. And that's why inventory is so constrained. So what is sometimes called the spot price or the current price of property is actually based on the short-term demand and supply, not the long-term demand and supply. That'll have an impact, of course, over time, but not in the short term, not in a 12 or a six-month period. The last one, I'm a little bit ashamed to say, because I just, now that Donald Trump has gone down this path and I had the same opinion as him, I mean, albeit he was well more informed after all this and it was much later on, the seriousness of COVID. I believe there might out there be in the airwaves a quote from me saying it's a storm in a teacup and turns out it wasn't. So initially we did think that the impact was going to be relatively low and certainly in this day and age now with media being so present in our lives, you know, we get the news headlines on our phone every minute of every day. I did think this was going to be a bit of a storm in a teacup and it would just blow over. Well, 12 months later, Andrew Nichol was wrong. But then having said that, the other side to that is, I guess during the depths of the first lockdown, I was pretty concerned that, you know, the sky was falling and we didn't really know how things were going to end up. And so Ed and I worked really hard in that time to just kind of get as much information as we could and kind of gauge what the impact would be and how to mitigate that. And I think that was really useful for a lot of investors out there who probably had that same nervousness. And now that we are looking back, I mean, COVID has kind of been like earthquakes for me. I've made a lot of money out of it. So there's always an opportunity in any market, but we did kind of get it wrong there. Thinking back now, at the end of March, when we were going into those lockdowns, it was a scary time. It was incredibly scary. You, you thought, were just scared you are going to not see me for three weeks. Well, I mean, it ended up being a couple of months, <laughs> you know, but I still remember I was walking through New World over the weekend and I said to Kelly, Kelly had this great idea and she's listening to this, so sorry about for talking about you, but here we go. <laughs> you know, I remember as soon as we were about to go into lockdown, Kelly had this idea, we are going to go to the supermarket first thing in the morning, 7am when it opens and we'll buy everything we need because nobody will be there. Well, No one else had that idea, did they, Ed? Every single person had that idea <laughs> and it's interesting to think how far we've come only 10 months later because that was such a scary time thinking you know what's going to happen how long are we going to be in these walls and even now we've got this potential Northland case I haven't checked the news today to see whether it's confirmed or not it was probable last time I checked it is pretty scary to think about what could potentially happen and I suppose something that will probably change our minds about ongoing is the potential impact of something that's happening on the other side of the world. Because yes. we'd previously seen pandemics, things like swine flu, which we didn't really worry about because it didn't really get here. Though, of course, probably at the time it was very, very scary. These days, if this was to happen again, would probably take it more seriously. And that's probably something we've changed our minds about again. Yeah. And actually, I was reading Tony's view, favourite economist of the show. 
sorry, second favoured. I was reading some of the sort of tongue-in-cheek comments he, he made about the COVID purchases that we've made that, you know, maybe 10 years from now we'll look back because there's all these extra ornaments around and a giant clock Susan. I think it was one of the comments he said, and he said, we'll all have these extra rooms that we've set up, which were our home offices that we use so avidly that now are redundant. You know, this is 10 years from now. So it was quite funny. Yeah, I liked that, I liked that one as well. Now, just before we wrap up, remember we are currently looking for five finance advisors here at Opus. We want to grow the team so we can help even more people. Now, of course, it is better if you are an AFA, an authorised financial advisor, because you would be giving financial advice in this situation. Though for someone exceptional, we also want to have a chat as well. So I'm going to link in the show notes to where you can go check out those job descriptions. Though if you search on seekdelp.co.nz, you'll also find it on there. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 